the Palm Beach Auction, where collectors collect. This December 9th, 10th, and 11th, come see the best of the best. Consign and bid on some of the finest classic sports and vintage vehicles from collectors around the world. Held at the fabulous Palm Beach County Convention Center. For more info, contact HollywoodCarAuctions.com or call 1-800-237-8954. That's 1-800-237-8954. The Palm Beach Auction, December 9th, 10th, and 11th. See you on the block. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, a.m. 500 of car shows. I mean, it's just everything, and we're having a, a really, really good time. Um, and uh, it, it's cool that you're able to come around and hang out with us. Okay. Hey, Steve, what have you been working on here lately? Tell us about some of the projects you got going on. Well, we uh, we have a car that we brought in build. It's a 1972 Camaro. Uh, it's in bare metal right now. The body and the doors are basically stock. They're steel. And all the other panels are um, carbon fiber from a company called Anvil. Uh, last year, we debuted a Mustang here that won the Ford Award and a bunch of other awards that was uh, for Anvil. Uh, and we helped develop some parts for their Mustang program, but these are these Camaro products are pieces that they already had in their um, in their product line, and we had a gentleman who wanted to build this Camaro for himself, so we used their stuff. So besides all the carbon fiber, it's got a somewhere between a thousand and twelve hundred horsepower twin turbo uh, four twenty seven small block. It's a pretty special car. This engine is actually one of two on the planet. Uh, from Tom Nelson Racing, and we'll have that up on my uh, on our website in just a little while. Now, Steve, what uh, this is a second gen Camaro, right? So basically, it's uh, from the outward appearance, it looks fairly original, correct? Yeah, it, it looks fairly stock. Until um, so you start sneaking around it, and you'll start finding a lot of changes. Like the door handles are from a new Aston Martin DBS, and we've. You know, custom-made a dash that's kind of um, remembrance of the old Stingray, the twin pod dashes. And uh, little changes around the car, but at first blush from 50 feet, yeah, it's a 72 Camaro. Tell us about the dash. Now, the dash, you took, what's a, the dash has a unique feature to it. It's a takeoff of what? Well, yeah, this, this, as I said, the dash is, is kind of imaging of the old uh, 60s Corvette Stingrays. They have those dual pods. Now, these individual pods are removable, and they're going to be wrapped with Alcan. Terra, which is a lightweight uh, leather or leatherette that people are using in the high-end exotics. Um, so, and the, the, the gauges I patterned after one of my watches, and it's made out of billet, but it won't look like it when it's all done. It's a very, very special gauge set. And again, when, when the new website's up, it's not up right now, but the new site, uh, purevisiondesign.com, there'll be a whole section of my website about this car. People will be able to see a lot, see videos and pictures. Now, how long you figured, now you're what, about halfway through on this car? As far in terms of the project, I mean, as far as working on this car? Um, we're about a third. 
a third of the way. Yeah, because there's still a lot of fabrication with fuel, electrical, and there's still a going to be a hidden, not a roll cage, but a strengthening skeleton that's going to be put in that will be behind all of the headliner and the panels. So it's just not visually in the way, but it's adding a lot of strength and safety to the car. All that fabrication still needs to be done. Now, the uh, suspension and everything on this car, is this going to be airbag suspension or is this going to be... No, uh, the rear is a triangulated four-link and the, the front is a piece from uh, Jim Meyer Racing, and they're suspended by my host here at SEMA, JRI Shock. JRI is a very high-end, high-high-quality coilover that actually comes from open-wheel Indian F1 stock car, uh, very high-end, high-quality racing, and they have shocks that are now being developed with all that quality and knowledge that we can use on our pro touring and our, our street machines, which is fantastic, and it's a big honor to have their parts on my car. Now, you were telling me earlier, too, that this company also has special made some very special unique parts for this car for use on one-off suspension pieces. Tell us about those. Is it shocks? Is that what it was? If I remember correctly? The, the, the shocks being one-off? Oh, yeah. Well, there's some stuff. There's some suspension pieces you were telling me that are, that are basically one-off for this car um, that I had made. And this, no, the, the shock, that's the one of the cool things. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But the shocks okay. on this car, a guy at home can order the, the same Uber shock that we have, and he can put it on his project car. So basically the same company that makes Indian F1 shocks are now letting people buy shocks and developing shocks that are the appropriate lengths and can bolt into these muscle cars, which is a very big deal. The one-off thing under here, or one of two, is this engine. Uh, okay. There'll be more available, but we're one of two that are ready and complete right now from Tom Nelson. One of your fortes, though, is is basically taking these cars, stuff like this, and incorporating some really, really high-tech, serious engineering in your car. So it's not just a custom-looking car. It's a whole total package. So these cars would probably be uh, up to par with any modern-day European exotic. Would that be a fair statement, Steve? Well, thank you. Um, you know, I try when we design a car that it's not just throwing parts and pieces. It's a, it's a whole project and a plan from end to end with a design cue in mind, a styling cue in mind, and all those parts and pieces, whether they be soft stuff like the leather or hard parts like the rims or technical parts like the engine, they all carry the same theme. So throughout the car, everything makes sense and that it carries out a design element. And that's um, one of the things that's, that's done well for me, and, and we've been widely accepted with the different magazines and TV shows, and, uh, and for which I'm thankful. But um, it, it makes me feel good when people notice, like yourself, notice that we, we kind of have a plan from end to end with the car that uh, lets us build a really, really nice car. Wow, that's good. Hey, Steve, what do you say we walk around a little bit? We have to keep our distance so we can avoid the bleed the bleed back, but what if we say we walk around a little bit and you be the eyes and the narrator for all our listeners because you're more familiar. We're on your turf right now, so I'll just stay like a few feet behind you, and as you're walking, I'll just listen just like the radio guys do, just like everybody likes tuning into the radio show. So you pick a direction, I'll follow you, and you just start talking. Tell, tell the people, the, the listeners, what they, what they could expect to see if they make a trip out here to FEMA, which essentially is a B2B operation, so really it's not open to the public. It's essentially open to other businesses, manufacturers, suppliers, and people of that nature. But if you know somebody that's in the business, they can get you a pass to come out to see It's well worth it. When you say that, Steve? Oh, yeah. This, this place is incredible. I mean, I just walked five, six feet out of my booth, and I am looking at the General Motors booth that they just unveiled the other day, their new um, Hot Wheels limited edition full-size Camaro. I'm standing in front of Dynacorn where you can buy a brand new Mustang, well, 68, 69 Mustang body, Camaro body. Um, they're doing Dodge bodies now the Challenger. I'm looking a little further down. I see Ford that has a whole bunch of their historic race cars on display, plus their new tech stuff. We've got paint companies like DuPont, brake companies, Brembo. I'm standing next to a brand new publisher automotive magazine called Audio Enthusiast. There is everything you can possibly think about just just standing uh, in one spot. And so we're just going to walk down the aisle here. Now, straight in front of me, is Borla. They're a high, uh, a high quality uh, exhaust company. Uh, do a lot of stainless steel stuff for late model and for old classic cars. Here's a gorgeous '69 Camaro <laughs> uh, rolling up next to me. Now in front of me, here's a BMW race car, and over to my right is a beautiful Pro Street 
Will flamed willies with a new modern fuel injected motor in it, big inch billets. There's uh well, let's see. Bilmstein shocks, another shock company. We're walking up and more pop we're walking down. Yeah, keep walking. I'm behind you a couple of feet here. So let's just say there's some other names here that'd probably be real familiar to some of the uh, our our American muscle car guys. And what oh. were you were telling me earlier about this row here that we're walking down. This is like the well, big drag. This- this is called Hot Rod Alley, and this is where it happens, you know, for, for my kind of stuff. A lot of, a lot of cool stuff here. Uh, we've got Billet Specialties, which is one of my favorite billet companies, especially for their True Track, their uh, Serpentine Pulley Systems. Uh, I also love a bunch of their, their wheel designs. We've used their stuff on cars. Um, we've got, oh, there's just so much. It's, it's mind-bending. You almost can't even take it all in. You can't see this show in four days. You can't. You can't do it. Uh, we're passing by Locar, which is well known in the street rod world and now in the street machine world. Uh, lots of uh, different options for dipsticks, cables, and now pedals, shifters. Just a wide variety of products that help you build the cars. These are problem solvers, like a company like Locar. So you come here, walk in the booth. See all their new stuff and go, wow, I can use that on my car. I can use that on my car. And it's very, very handy for uh, the guy at home or the builder or even a shop that wants to start selling parts. And that's what SEMA is for. SEMA is for um, mainly the industry. You're a buyer. You're a speed shop. You're uh, a shop. Places that are going to use these components sell this stuff and uh, put it to your customers. So this is where you come and find the newest things from all these manufacturers. U.S. Radiator, uh, of course, manufacturing all the aftermarket radiators for the different cars. Um, looking down the aisle there, we've got I Did It steering columns. Um, what am I next to? Of course, one of the best batteries in the world, Optima. And, of course, they've got a huge booth with amazing cars in there. I've got a Richard Petty stock car sitting in front of me. You know, it, it's just, I, I mean, you could go on and on and on about all the amazing things that are here. And that's why TV has started bringing, and even radio, we've started bringing this information or, or, or telling people that can't make it about this because it's it's a giant candy store. It really is. It's an automotive performance candy store that you can just walk for miles and miles of aisles and not see the same thing twice. Here's Detroit Speed Engineering, uh, very, very high-quality suspension parts for uh, American muscle cars, a lot of the GM lines like your Chevelles and your Camaros. And uh, we've actually made our way up to DuPont. Uh, everyone knows them from their paint products. Uh, so they're showing all their new, not only new colors, but new stuff that is um, compliant with all the EPA industries. And, of course, in their booth, gorgeous painted cars like this Impala, uh, beautiful dark maroon, big billet wheels. It, so it's actually a giant car show as much as it's a giant product show. So there's a lot to take in and look at. It's 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 crazy. <laughs> it's way over mountain. This 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 Burgundy '61 uh, Impala that we're looking at, which actually has a stick shift in it, which is kind of cool. It probably has one of those Kitzler uh, five speeds in it or something like that. But that's a stunning, stunning car. You know, one thing I will tell you is when you come to SEMA, you will see, without a doubt, the best of the best of the best. You will never see oh, anything really? here that's not up to par. I mean, this is the state of the art show. Where the guys come out here and they literally, it's almost like what, like a Grand National Racer show or anything like that. I mean, they really, oh. really try to win awards. And and then the other thing is, too, they have seminars here. Like this morning, I was very, very fortunate. They had an NHRA seminar, and guess who they had there? They had John Forrest, Bob Tasca, and a couple other guys on there. You will run into everybody. I've run into Jesse James. I've run into, like I said, John Forrest. Uh, Jack Roush has been here. Uh, Barry McGuire has been here. Uh, Goldberg was here. I mean, uh, the names are just endless. Chip Foose, matter of fact, the first day I walked in here, Chip was out front waxing his Mercedes, the one he's got on display here. It's just incredible. So everybody, the who's who of the automotive world will be here. I mean, oh, yeah. less than, you know, you're going to have Ford, GM, and Chrysler, but you're going to have everybody and anybody. There's people from all over the world. There's people from oh. Europe. There's people from the Mideast. There's people from the Far East. There's people from South America. There's a ton of people here from Australia. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. And then the people from Germany and, and France, all these people that manufacture stuff are all here at the SEMA. They all descend on this one show. And wouldn't it be fair to say this is the largest in the world? Yeah. It, 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 well, I don't know about everything in the world, but it's got to be tied for first if it's not first. It is 
this covers so many square miles, and there's so much diversity and so many things that uh, I don't know how something could be bigger. I really don't. Wow. I'll tell you what, this is just, uh, uh, and, and, and the place is packed. I mean, and then out front, out in the front, right, Steve? Tell us about some of the cars out there. They've got drifting out front. They've got oh. other cars on exhibit. They've got a lot, of, a lot of individual guys. You don't have to be businesses or anything like that. But if you're a friend of somebody that has a business and you want to display your car here, you can get what they call, I guess it's a uh, car, um, I'm not sure what they call it. It's got a special name. There's a pass. Like, you would have an exhibitor's pass because you're an exhibitor. So I've got media passes. But then there's, if you want to bring a car in here to show a car on display, show your talents, basically, you can do that, too. You know, you just have to be connected with somebody in the business. Stacey David, by the way, was here yesterday. I ran into him. He was also a former guest on our show. Dave Bowman was here. He was a guest on our show. Uh, right now, we're walking past Holly. There's Grant. There's, uh, geez, Bob Bondrant's over here with his display. Okay? I mean, you've got uh, all the names that I'm sure you guys go. Mothers, Rocks here, Painless Wiring's here. I mean, it's just like, uh, well, there's, there's other media events going on right now. We're walking by the mother's booth, and while we're talking, what's going on in the background is they're giving out their Mother's Shine Award, which is a huge award. I'm staring at Troy Trepinier, Brad Rides by Troy, who's probably one of the best builders in my industry, and let's see who he's talking to. Well, he's talking to John Buck, who is the gentleman who owns the Grand National Roadster Show. Next to him is Danny, who works for George Poteet, who is a... Uh, certified 300-mile-an-hour racer at Bonneville, and they're just standing here talking, which is pretty incredible. Hey, uh, I'm, <laughs> as Steve just mentioned, we're standing here next to uh, uh, Troy Trepin. Troy, I'm going to put you live on the air right now, because we're live, okay? So we're doing it via cell phone. So say hi to the audience in Clearwater, Florida. What's going on, Florida? The warm down there, it's, uh, it's like summertime here in Vegas. I'm from Chicago, so it's, uh, you know, 30 degrees back there, so uh, I want to go outside and put my sun tanning oil on. <laughs> Yeah, we brought a, uh, this year at SEMA, we brought a 54 Buick with a G55 Mercedes uh, uh, drivetrain, which was a pretty cool thing. We'd mix in a, a Buick with a Mercedes together, and uh was quite, quite the uh, quite the challenge with the wiring. It looks like a big bowl of spaghetti under the dash, but uh, we got it all to work, and uh, we, we like those challenges, but uh, pretty cool. It's uh, chocolate milk and uh, pearl brown, so there's uh, nothing else. There's you know, thousands of cars here at SEMA, but you can definitely tell what we build just by the uh, colors and how they look so it's uh it's uh, been another good team and now uh, we brought our blowfish we ran 319 with that this uh summer at bonneville so we keep getting it faster and uh we're changing engines now and our goal is to run 330 with it we're uh one mile hour off the fastest door slammer ever in 60 years at bonneville so uh keep taking baby steps but everything's getting good and uh we look forward to another team next year that's awesome. I'm waiting for the slap back then. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's what we were talking about. He, he's having me walk around, kind of just tell everybody what I see. And I go, oh, there's Troy talking with the guy that owns the Grand National Roadster Show, talking with the guy who drives 300 miles an hour. And there's behind the booth that they're giving out the Mother's Shine Award, you know, for the guys that we're, we're so fortunate. You know, we get to come here every year and we get to do this stuff. Um, but everyone else kind of lives vicariously through these things, like the radio shows and the TV shows. And just to try to explain how big this thing is and how many people are here and all this stuff. I'm still 18-year-old reading Hot Rod, you know, and just to see all the people I read about, it's like, holy mackerel, him, 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 and all the boots and all the cool things. It's, it's still neat for me. I still love it. I mean, you get a little jaded, but when I get here the first day, I'm, I'm still ready to go look at all this stuff and see what's in the booth. You know, it's, it's a cool thing. Let alone seeing people like Troy. Actually, it's a little reunion. I get to see people I only get to see a couple times a year. So and it's a lot of fun for that, too. That's that's one of the reasons why I like coming now, seeing my friends and what's new. Troy, Troy gave me a tour of his, that, the amazing car he just told everybody about. I'm, I'm sure it'll be slathered in every magazine. It's very deserving of it. It's, in, it's a technical tour de force with all his amazing styling. And I got to come up and just see it. You know, and, he, and it's not because I build. He, he shows other people around the car. You get to have a tour from Troy here. He actually shows you the car and explains the cool little things he did. And that doesn't happen everywhere else. It's like a magic place where these kind of things can happen. It's, it's a cool thing. It is a cool thing. Well, as you know, Steve, you summed it up on, you know, SEMA's about seeing all your buddies all through the year that do the same thing and all the manufacturers. And, 
you know, as, as you, your cars, my cars, you know, and the guys come up, you know, you build this stuff so darn subtle, you know, our, our whole objective is to change everything and hopefully nobody sees any of it, you know, so... If you don't show the people, you know they don't get it. So it's, uh, you know, that's a lot of fun. I haven't been coming there since 90, bringing three cars a lot of times. Spent the last three, four years not bringing anything, just kind of walking around to actually enjoy it more. And yeah. I was telling the guys at the shop that, you know, now having a car where people can locate you again, it's like turning a light switch on again with all the manufacturers and people walking up. So it's uh, definitely, it's kind of neat to play off a while and then come back and bring one and, and just kind of get re in touch with everybody. Yeah, it is cool. I've got a mellow year. We brought an unfinished car, and that's still already keeping me hopping because everyone's asking questions, but it's a cool thing. Thanks for thanks for uh, jumping out, Troy. Thanks for having us, Steve. Good to see you, brother. Yeah, brother. All right, let's walk in over here because we got uh, we got a special guest for you guys this evening. And uh, he was supposed to be on earlier part of the show, the top hour or top half of the show, but he's going to come on to the bottom half. And uh, this gentleman is probably the most recognized. This is probably the most recognized individual in the aftermarket hot rod world. Would you say that, Steve? Would that be a fair statement? Oh. Oh, it's it's definitely one of the most recognized names in hot rodding and performances in the world, without question. Now, what we're going to do is I'm going to basically uh, sign up. Hey, Steve, you know what? Do you mind uh, donating your phone for a little bit? Because since you're already live, I could probably no problem. let you talk to uh Yeah, he can use my guest. phone if he wants to. Okay, super. Well, I'll tell you what. Steve, I want to thank you for coming on. You're going to stick around because we're going to hang out a little bit later anyway. But right now, ladies and gentlemen, you know who I have on the show? I have the one. I have the only. I have Vic Edelbrock sitting right over here. And Vic has been gracious enough to basically join us on the radio show. And uh, we're going to loan him uh, Steve's phone right now, and he's going to talk to us a little bit. Just talking to the phone. Okay. Here I am. Okay. Now, what I'm going to do, Vic, is I'm going to stand back a little bit so there's no bleed through. So what I'd like to do is just take a little time. I'd love to have you just tell us some of the great stories, you know, back when you guys first got started. Matter of fact, some of the stories about you and your dad. I know those are really heartwarming stories. I was doing a little research. And, uh, I, and, as a matter of fact, I ran into Cammy a little earlier, and we were talking a little bit, and I asked her, I said, hey, what would be some really cool stuff that I could talk to Vic about that just wasn't the stuff that, not the stuff that's been written, you know, over and over and over, just some really cool, nice family story type stuff, you know, okay. some experiences. So would you be willing to share some of that with us? Okay. Please? So we're ready? Go. Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be the only child in a family that uh, uh, my mother and father, uh, uh, you know, came up in this uh, performance uh, deal. I've been around it since I was born, and uh, uh, I really enjoy it, and, uh, and I'm very happy that uh, uh, I, my father uh, got to teach me a lot of the things that he did, and and making product, making good product that you can look at your customer and say this really works and uh, you're going to enjoy the performance of it. But uh, uh, my father uh, was, uh, uh, he was born in Endura, Kansas, which is 30 miles out of Kansas City. Uh, he came to uh, California during the Depression uh, following his two older brothers, and uh, he had to quit school in the ninth grade because the family uh, grocery store burnt down and uh, the three brothers had to had to that uh had to go to work and uh, to support the family so he he followed uh, his brothers to california was very excited when he got a job for two dollars a day uh because uh, work was a little hard to find and uh he took it from there and uh, got into the repair business because he had, he had one of his jobs in Kansas, in Kansas was to go pick up Henry Ford's Model Ts uh, for people who lived out in the town of Dura. And you had to be mechanically inclined because probably half the parts on the car fell off and you had to be able to find them and put them back on again to get the car to where it was supposed to go. So he got in the repair business, uh, repairing cars, and uh, that came up to where he bought a uh, 32 Ford. Uh, that was a family car after my mother and father were, were married. Uh, and then he started thinking of going to the Dry Lakes, where Edwards Air Force Base is now. And um, in doing that, uh, he would run his flathead. Uh, got frowned on by all the powers that be because everybody was running a, a four-cylinder inline Chevrolet engine, and they uh, didn't think that the Henry Ford Flathead had any chance at all. But uh, he proved him wrong. He made a manifold in 1938, which started his deal in making equipment. He didn't make many of them, probably about 100. And uh, he went to the Dry Lake bed, and uh, three weeks before Pearl Harbor, uh, in 1941, uh, he won the High Point Award of the Roadrunner Car Club, and he went 100, almost 122 miles an hour. And you have to realize he was running methanol, alcohol, and uh, there was no fuel pumps 
big enough to supply fuel uh, mechanically. So he had a pressure pump that was in the dash. He would drive the car with his right hand on the steering wheel and with the left hand through the steering wheel, pump the pressure pump to keep five pounds, six pounds of a pressure so the car would run. Uh, so that was quite an adventure, because you know a 32 Ford doesn't have much of a wheelbase, and then they're a little tricky to drive. In any case, he uh, uh, opened everybody's eyes, and uh, unfortunately the war started right after that. So uh, his hot rod endeavors uh, came to a stop. He worked. Uh, he couldn't uh, get drafted because he had flat feet, so he worked in a uh, proprietary machine shop that was making uh, crucial parts for... Uh, the war system uh, that was going on. And uh, after the war, the day I remember I was with, with my uh, mom and dad, the day the war ended, my dad was looking at a garage, uh, a gas station garage up on uh, Highland Boulevard in Hollywood, California. 1200 North Highland was the address. And he bought that station, it was an associated gas station, had two pumps, had one loop rack, and uh, he took his uh, shop behind and he, he put he made it on one side. It was a small machine shop, and on the other side, he still worked on cars and and got in his first endeavors after the war in racing midgets. Well, this went on, and then of course that's when the flathead grew into being really the only hot rod engine that was being used in the late 40s and early 50s. Uh, that was including cars who were racing in the early days of NASCAR and that. So his whole thing was centered around the flathead, uh, making it stroker assemblies, making the engine bigger, more horsepower, camshafts, then he made cylinder heads, uh, aluminum thinned, so you could raise the compression, uh, and then more manifolds. And from there, uh, he went on. When when the flathead was discontinued in 1953, everybody thought the hot rod business was over. But fortunately, in 1955, the small block Chevy came along, and that opened everybody's doors up. Uh, and uh, we received the first engines uh, in California, and my I ran tests on it during my summer break from the University of Southern California. And uh, uh, we put that in the results in Hot Rod Magazine, and that was the start of the small block Chevrolet being God's blessing to our business because the engine performed very well and was very acceptive to changes and uh, and you got results. So that made things really go and he went up through the, the, the late 50s and he made different manifolds and early 60s, 1960, late 61 uh, was very unfortunate but he contracted uh, the cancer uh, machine and uh, it got him. He only lived four months after they discovered it. But he passed away in 1962 at the age of four. I was 26 years old and uh, took the company over. But he he did such a job of, of, of giving me the foundation that I needed. And, he, and there were 10 employees. We didn't do a half a million dollars worth of business a year. Yeah, but these people were good. They were loyal. They were scared to death that I was going to spend the money in the bank on something I shouldn't be spending it on. But I didn't do that. And uh, and we went on and uh, went through the went through the 70s. And and we and that's when the gas went from 37 and 35 cents a gallon to to uh, 70 80 cents and everybody was was really upset and you couldn't get gasoline and then in 1978 it hit again and it went from 70 80 to a dollar uh, 30 dollar 40 and everybody was really upset uh, but you know we Americans learn how to cope with stuff like that, and we went on. Then we started getting into products that would get better mileage. There was mission. Emissions were uh, were on the uh, on the horizon, and we had to comply with that. And, and uh, we continued on with a power package system uh, where we put uh, uh, camshafts. Uh, cylinder heads, manifolds together. Um, uh, uh, cylinder heads happened in 1992, uh, and our uh, carburetor happened in 1988-89. And uh, that carburetor was a real blessing to us, and we built what we called the power package and have gone on from there. We're now employing over 400 people, and we have uh, approximately uh, 500 square foot of, of buildings. We do everything, uh, like our superchargers, we make everything under one roof. Uh, Foundry makes the castings. We machine machine them. <clears throat> the only thing that we've done outside is, is black powder coating. So we've diversified our line in, in different directions and, and are really having fun. We call ourselves the fun team. That's because with one time I used to ski race, pull skiers at very fast speeds and fast boats. And uh, we had more fun after the race, and everybody nicknamed us the uh, 
the fun team, and that's still still with us because we believe in working hard, but also believe in having fun and enjoying the benefits and the and the things that we're doing. So today we're we're at SEMA. We've talked to a lot of customers. I I come here every year, sign a lot of things, and and go on and and uh, really enjoy this this business uh, and uh, enjoy everything that goes with it. So there you go. There's a little little Edelbrock history. <laughs> All right. Now tell us a little bit how the, the whole thing with SEMA came about. While we're on the subject of SEMA, can you hear me okay, Vic, in the phone? Okay. I'll stand back so we don't bleed through, but tell us a little bit how SEMA came into inception. I think it was like in the early okay. 60s, right? About SEMA, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Um, SEMA started in the early Early '60s, and it was a um, a model. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't uh, a fast wheels. It was Revell in, in Culver City, and they made model cars. Well, they're very concerned about our industry because we were a bunch of rednecks. We didn't talk to one another, and and uh, we hated our competitors, and they felt that we were going to maybe get in trouble and they'd lose a base of making these little cars uh, because they they like to do them for hot rods and stuff. So SEMA was was formed. And actually, for the first uh, four or five years, it was really a social event. We had a Christmas party every year, and then we had some meetings. But we really didn't have anything we could sink our teeth into until the mid-60s in, in California. Uh, California was the first state to come in with uh, emission control devices. And we had to change uh, our product around to work. These devices couldn't be tampered with, and we had to make our product so that it all fit. So that's what really started SEMA. I, uh, I became president in 1971 through 1975, and during that period, uh, we started having the SEMA show, which was first one was in Dodger Stadium on the third floor of the stadium where the uh, where the clubhouse is, and uh, it was uh, in the end of January, and it was rainy and it was cold, and we had about 40, 50 exhibitors in there. <laughs> but that was the start. And from there we moved. While I was president, we moved to Anaheim Convention Center uh, in Anaheim. That's where Disneyland is. And and it continued. I was fortunate enough that we didn't have any money, so we had to uh, really scratch the, to do what we wanted to do. But uh, we had help from my, uh, Pete Peterson, Bob Peterson, a Peterson publication, no, no longer with us. Uh, but he came through and gave us $35,000 to handle our, our to, to hire our first lobbyist in Washington, D.C. And so that was at a time where we started going back to Washington under this man's guidance, and I was president of the, of the association. And we're talking to people, telling them who we were, and that we weren't in a barn with a dirt floor just pulling everything off and making cars go crazy. So, uh, if we hadn't done that, then I think we'd have been then. Uh, then I think we'd have been in, in trouble. So that was the start. When I was president, we formed an emission committee. We formed a noise committee, a safety committee, and committees where we could really get at the problems that were facing us and in, uh, in our in our industry. Today, SEMA has continued that growth. The show is uh, tremendous at the center post of, of all their endeavors. Uh, we work with all different states, uh, depending what their problems are in telling them we, what we can do and that we can help help their situation actually uh, making cars cleaner and get better mileage. So SEMA is very, very important to us today. And when you're in a show like this, you really get the feeling of how big it's gotten and it's going to get bigger and we're going to be right on top of it. Now, tell, now one thing I noticed too is, uh, or I ran into yesterday, I was at a seminar and it was in the afternoon, and now SEMA's also a big proponent of some charity work, you know, helping younger kids getting involved in the automobile industry, and they have uh, basically, I think it's like, what do they call it? Like, Engine it, challenge. Like, pardon me? We have a problem of we want to keep the youth involved uh, in our industry. and scholarship, in the youth out, said. You have like a scholarship program, right? In the, in the youth today, they can't all run computers. Uh, people still want to work with their hands, and they can and they can do very well. So a man named Jim Thinkum uh, out of Joliet, Illinois, started uh, a deal four years ago at one of his shows, and I happened to be there, where they had about six teams of high school students that were had the thing of taking a Chevrolet engine all apart, uh, except the crank, and then turn around and put it back together. They were judged that they did everything correct and in time, and if they did things wrong, then they were penalized time for it. I saw this thing, and I said, Jim, this is absolutely what we need and because i've always believed that the youth involvement with our industry is very very important that we want to keep these people in there and we want to show people around us that we can we can guide them in the right direction
direction. So I went to SEMA and I said, listen, Jim Bingham has a real program. Uh, and it's called the Engine Challenge uh, with the Hot Rodders of Tomorrow. And he has taken this thing and brought it up to where uh, he has a regions all around the United States. And they all have, have uh, uh, the event. They take teams and they take the winners and they bring them all into Las Vegas. And, and then they have the final uh, deal here. And uh, it is tremendous. There's like 10 teams and uh, they're uh, participating every day. They started yesterday at Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday they'll, they'll hand out the awards. But this is absolutely great. NASCAR is now involved with this group. A lot of the manufacturers ourselves and other people are involved as sponsors. And the kids are just fantastic. In fact, there, there was one group that was out here practicing in a hotel parking lot uh, a couple of days before uh, everything started. And of course, the hotel wasn't very happy about that. But it, it is really great to see. They've got everything set up in the main lobby of the, of the hall here. And uh, everybody goes in, goes right past it. And uh, it's fantastic. It's going to grow. Uh, there's uh, tech, there's uh, colleges like OTC, Ohio Technical uh, uh, School, and, and based out of Cleveland, they put up a tremendous tremendous amount of scholarships along with other associations so that when the students get through here, they can pick the school like OTC, which uh, we work with and is now starting the Edelbrock Academy where people can come in and students and learn about Edelbrock and how we started and how we grew and how our product line works and uh, so that they have a knowledge of something that they can go into if they wish to go that direction. Really, really important and the people are really looking at this and, uh, and it's getting bigger and bigger every year. So that's a real, and, and SEMA is a big part of it in allowing them to be here at SEMA show and allowing them to bring all these people in. So uh, that's just what we need and it shows people what we can do. We keep people, we keep kids out of trouble. They can work on their car, work with their family, and they're not going to get out and get in using the wrong stuff and get in trouble. So very important to us. Good. Hey, I want to quickly tell us, there's a story, Tammy was telling me briefly, back in the day when you guys were hot rodding about how you guys were staying in a motel one time and then you basically pretended to you guys went to sleep, and then you snuck out at night, and you went there, and you were wrenching on your car, because you guys wanted to do some secret stuff to your car so that you could go out and race the next day. How did that whole story go? Is that well, right? I, I'm, this is, you're talking about hot rods? Yeah, this, we back, do? this is going back, back in the hot rod days, back when you were younger, and you guys were racing, and I guess you were at some event or something like that, and she was telling me how, you know, all the cars were parked out in the parking lot and stuff, and you didn't want people to really see some of the trick stuff that you did, so what you did is you guys went to bed, or pretended you went to bed, and then when everybody was asleep, you guys climbed out the back window, went down the parking lot, and worked on your cars all night long so that you could be real competitive and win and beat everybody the next day. So am I, as well, I'd rather have you tell a story. You don't want me to tell all these stories now, do you? It, it, yeah, I mean, story. Everybody, well, you are a legend. You know, hot rodders have fun, and I remember the first time I went to uh, the, the Nationals, and uh, and uh, the, we had such a party at this Holiday Inn that uh, uh, we did some things that we shouldn't have done, and fire extinguishers were going off in the room, and one room that's shorter the lights and the car on fire, uh, the drapes got on fire, and actually uh, Barbara Parks, who's no longer alive, that's Walt, uh, Wally Parks, is, who has passed away also, wife. Uh, she sent us a letter saying, you'll never, ever come to another NHRA event. You're out of here. So we had to go back and kind of put that back together and promise her that we really wouldn't do that again. But, uh, you know, we, it, it's just a lot of fun. To, and, uh, and, you know, the, the people in this business are a lot of fun, and they're a lot of fun to be around. Uh, we've had a lot of things like uh, in the in the uh, in the in the sixties and the seven in the seventies in the in the early eighties the people from back east Bill Race, racers like uh, Bill Jenkins and Wally Booth and and uh, even Jack Roush before he had uh, dinos and he was the, he was part of a pro stock car. They would come to California during the wintertime, test their cars because they couldn't do it uh, back east. And then they'd hang out at our area because they needed a dyno so they could dyno their engine. And so we had all these guys in there. And you talk about a crazy thing, man. These guys and their stories were really, really something. And I'll never forget we had that big earthquake. And the Wally Booth group was there. And that earthquake hit about 6 o'clock in the morning. And they were all asleep in the motel. And by the time I got to work about 8 o'clock, they were already had their clothes packed. They were already heading for the airport because they were out of there. They didn't want anything to do with that. And it was a pretty good earthquake. That's the one that tore down the valley and stuff. So, you know, like anything else, there's a lot of things that go on, but it's a lot of good things. 
a lot of racing, a lot of lying. Nobody told anybody the truth, and uh, but that's just a normal what we call bench racing. So, how about now? You were a uh, you were in the boat racing for a while there too, and it was like uh, tell us a little, uh, marathon racing, correct? Well, that's another story because when I was younger, I wanted to go racing, and I got my first car. I told my dad I want to go racing, and he looked at me and he says, "Son, you're not going racing. The name is made. You'll just screw it up, and uh, because you'll have to win every race to do any good." And I said, "Well, no, no, it's not fair." But you didn't argue with my father, who was full German, uh, so I, I didn't go racing. And I had a forty-six Ford. He let me hop it up for a Christmas present, and uh, he. Uh, uh, so then one one day on on a Sunday, I announced that we were going to go to the drag races uh, at Saugus, and he looks at me and he says, "Now remember, son, you're not going drag racing." And I says, "Yeah, Dad, I'm not going to go drag racing." So I took my car out there, and, of course, my buddy started needling me. So, of course, I have to drag race the car. And I went 83 miles an hour, and I came home, and my dad was uh, watching the jalopies with Parnelli Jones driving. It was on television. He looked at me with a big grin on his face, and he says, well, how fast did you go? Well, I just really bit the bait. I thought, well, God, you must really, it's all right to, to tell him I went drag racing. So I said, 83 miles an hour. He says, give me your keys. The car sat in the backyard for 30 days and never moved. I was grounded. So I really backed away from that. Of course, he couldn't stop me from street racing because uh, he couldn't see that. And he knew I was out there doing that. Anyway, later on, the one thing that could, I did get into was I bought a boat. I had the lake, a house at Lake Arrowhead, Southern California. And uh and I, my dad let me put a small block Chevy in it, fix it up, and it was pretty. It was a straight drive, but it was pretty fast. And from that, uh, we raced a little bit. But then later on, in the in the uh, um, the late '80s and early '90s, I started ski racing, where we pulled water skiers at very fast speeds, and that I got to do that. And then that turned into uh, I bought I bought a scarab, 38 foot scarab, and went ocean racing. And then uh, didn't bother me because the ocean was too rough. And then I got into vintage car racing. This is what I do now. I've uh, started in 80, 88. I've got uh, I got a Trans Am car, uh, and I've got a Corvette, and a 63 split window, which was the first Z06 that Zora made. And my Trans Am car is the one that Ford made that George Fulmer drove in nine. Okay, so there, there you go. Right, we got two, a couple minutes. What about your book? you want to plug your book a little bit? Because you got a book that's out about Vic Edelbrock now. Tell us just a couple words about that. Uh, say that again. Do you have a book that's out now, Vic Edelbrock? There's a book about oh, you? We, you we have a book, and uh, we don't have a whole lot left, probably about five, six hundred, but it's called Made in USA, and it, it's the history of the Edelbrock family, so you can go to our website, uh, edelbrock.com, uh, and uh, it'll show you how to order this book. If you haven't got it, I'm sure you will really enjoy it, because there's a lot of good stories that I didn't give you here that you can read about there. Okay, super. Well, Vic Edelbrock, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for taking the time here at SEMA to sit and talk. I know it's been a little difficult. It's kind of loud, and there's people everywhere, and there's a whole bunch of people waiting to get autographs from you and have some of your posters signed, so we'll definitely Stay in touch, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. We'll see you around. Okay. I'll walk over here and shake hands with you. All right. Thank you very much, and it's great to do this with you, and, and uh, thank you again, okay? This is amazing. We can do this all via cell, cell phone now. I don't have to carry a whole bunch of equipment around with me. Everybody's probably standing around wondering what we're doing, but we're live. This is a radio show, guys. Okay, so I want to thank everybody for being patient, and uh, Mr. Ellenbrock is going to go ahead and sign your autographs. And, uh, okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, buddy. Okay. Okay, okay, okay guys. guys. I hope you caught that. Hey, Cedric, how are we doing on time? Three minutes. Okay. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk around. Okay, guys. Hey, I'm still here live at SEMA, and i got to tell you, this is one hell of a show here. I found a car that, you know, there's a lot of cars here. There's a lot of state-of-the-art stuff, but there's a few cars that really, really catch my eye. And one thing that caught my eye, and I know a lot of you guys out there, my listeners, are big Pontiac fans. Well, I'm looking at a modern retro version of a 69 GTO, and I'm standing here with its originator, Kevin. Yes. Kevin, tell us a little bit about this car that you got going on here right now. I mean, this is really a good-looking car. It looks like it's a 69 GTO, yep. and it's almost like carousel yep. red. Yep. Okay. Tell yep. us a little bit about it, yep. how you came about. Yep. We started with the uh, 2011 convertible Camaro, basically handcrafted front and rear faces, uh, you know, custom uh, flattening out the, the wheel wells and, and, and fenders and everything. We've done uh, twin-turbo setup on this car. So it's got like 603 horse at the uh, rear tires. And basically it's evolved from uh, uh, back in 06 when I did the original drawings uh, of Trans Ams. Uh, taking the new Camaro and putting them into Trans Ams. And, you know, it just led to us to do the uh, 69 influence style and uh, up to the GTO. 
Now, you're what, a designer, graphics designer yep. by, yep, graphic, by trade? Yep, graphic okay. designer. Yep. And so what gave you the idea to come out, to take the Camaro and modify it and make it look like a, a, you know, a retro Firebird in the first place? Well, um, I've always, always been a Pontiac fan, okay. a Trans Am fan for sure. Uh, I, I purchased my first Trans Am in 04, kind of got really obsessed and all that sort of thing. And, and when, I, when I saw the very first concept Camaro come out, the drawing, uh, I sat down on the computer and, and turned it into a Trans Am, hit the internet, and it spread like wildfire. Had magazine companies calling me, wanting to publish the pictures, and, and from there it just led to, to car shows and, uh, you know, to a real car. Well, i got to tell you, you did a very, very spectacular job on this 69 Retro GTO, um, and it's what? It says 69? 69. I suppose a GTO right, 69. Yep, That's yep, kind of cool. That's the way you badged it. Yeah, and of course the GTO is always nicknamed the GOAT. GOAT. So, right. you know, we call it the GOAT instead of the judge. And you got wheels, those retro-looking yep. wheels. are yep, what, I, about 19, 18-inch? They're 20-inch tw- 20 wheels. 20? Okay. I, I custom-designed them. There's only been two sets of those ever made. Okay. So, custom, you know. And how many of these cars have you built so far? Uh, the GTOs uh, are 69s. We've done uh, just two concepts for now, but we're going into tooling to, to produce these cars. Right now we're in production uh, of the 77 style, and uh, we're also doing the Hearst edition of the 77 style. Okay. Now, this car is uh, basically, it's called the GOAT. Mm-hmm. It looks like a 69 Pontiac GTO. Yep. But it's basically kind of graphics a little bit like a judge. So right. Yep. Fair statement? Okay. Yep. And because you got the rear spoiler on it, obviously, mm-hmm. and then the standard GTO hood. Yep. Um, and the rest of the cars, is there anything on the interior that you did to stiffen Yes. Uh, we basically uh, recovered the seats, uh, a throwback right to 1969, a double French stitch in orange, um, uh, custom badges, custom sill plates, uh, custom face gauges from Gauge Mark, you know, just tried to pay attention to the detail to make it a real nice throwback to the 69. Now, how, do, how if I wanted to buy one of these, do I buy this as a finished product from you, or do I supply you with a car we, and then... Yeah, we can do that both ways. We, uh, okay. If you want, if you have a Camaro, new, used, whatever, uh, you know, you can bring it to us and we can do the conversion, or we can provide the turnkey car. So, in other words, if I wanted to buy this car done, turnkey, mm-hmm. what, what would I be looking to spend, roughly? Probably, you know, just a basic conversion. Right. You know, you're looking at 27 on top of the price of the Camaro. Okay. Um... But it can go on up from there, you know, with the performance mods and everything else. So, in other words, $27,000 on top of the base price of the mm-hmm. Camaro, mm-hmm. and then basically you give me a delivered, yep. drivable, exactly. smoking tires, gas tires and oil, GTO, mm-hmm. yep. GOAT, okay? GTO yep. is gas tires and oil, gets tickets often, and, of course, the infamous GOAT. Well, that's really cool. Now, the other one that you made, you said there's two of them, right? Yes. Is it also carousel, yes. red? Yep, just, okay. just like this, only it's the hard top. Okay, but let's say I want this in a different color. Can you mm-hmm. do that as well? We sure can. Okay, so the, so you're going to have you're going to offer basically the same color combination and trim combination back like yeah, in 1969. Exactly, yes. I mean, we can do, you know, obviously all the stock colors of the Camaro, um, but, you know, if somebody wanted a custom color, we can do that as well. Okay. That's cool. That's really interesting. Kevin, you did a fine job. I want to thank you for taking some time yes, talking to us. thank you. And, uh, you know what, guys? I'm going to be wandering around. I'm going to find some more cool stuff and interview some more cool people, and uh, you guys hang tight. I'll be back. All right, guys. We're still here wandering around in the wheel and tire section, and I'm over at the uh, Pirelli booth, and I'm talking to a gentleman by the name of Tom. Tom's going to give us a little insight as to the new P0 racing technology that's been incorporated into a tire. Tom, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. So so here we are, and of course uh, the audience can't see the tire, but I want to still point at it and talk because that's the way my mind works. Okay. Give them a visual. I'll, I'll give you a visual. So we're sitting here looking at a new P0 Silver, and this is a tire we just introduced to this week at SEMA. It's okay. an announcement of a new technology. And what this tire is, is we've brought to the street some of the things we've learned during our F1 activities. And as you know, we've been doing F1 now for all of this season. Made the racing really exciting, and our fans are very happy about it. But anyway, back to the P0 Silver. So in Formula One, the silver tire is the more durable of the tires, so the teams have to choose between a really, really soft tire or, or one that's a little more durable when they're doing their strategy for the F1 races. We brought some of that extra durability technology over to street tires. So now we've got this tire, the P0 Silver, that's available to consumers or will be in the first quarter of next year in 19 and 20 inch sizes designed for sports sedans and coupes. And this tire will give consumers more durability without sacrificing the performance they've come to expect from the P0 family. 
Now, you mentioned the colors. When I was over there, I was just looking at your F1 selection over there. Right. There were three different colors. Right. So, so explain that to us. So for each race, we we allow the teams to choose a, choose from two tires. We give them the spec. We say, we're going to have a silver and a red at this race, and you have to choose between the two. And they're required in F1 racing to use both tires at least one time during the race. So, so teams are making decisions about, do I want the fastest tire that doesn't last as long, or do I want one that's more durable and I have to make less pit stops? Now, in terms of last, are we referring to, are you referring to compounds and design of the tire? It's, it's the, it's the, there's a lot that goes into it, but but basically it's a compounding and a construction variation that causes the tires to either allow the F1 cars to go a little faster or the last a little longer the tire and the teams have to make a tire strategy decision do i want to make more pit stops but have a car that's faster or do i want to make less pit stops and not be quite as fast with the with a more durable design so it, it's it's brought a lot of excitement to the formula one race all right quickly um when when the tires get to the point where they need to be changed what is the actual what kind of deterioration? What what does the tire experience? Explain that to us. Well, a race car driver, when they're driving a, a obviously very sophisticated, very high technology tire, they start to feel the tire's performance go away from them. So the car is not going quite as fast. And as you know, in Formula One, it's measured by tenths of a second, the difference from one lap to the other. So they start to recognize that. And we've, we've also given them good indications about how long they should expect the various types of tires to last and and using those two pieces of information the teams and the drivers know when it's time to change a tire so the tire visually will look like it's scuffed okay yes what does the tire experience internally does it separate at all come no apart? no no there's no there's no uh, there's no integrity issues with okay. the tire it just starts to its ability to grip as well as it did at the beginning starts to deteriorate so then the drivers have to make a decision about how long will the tire will the tire continue to grip at an acceptable level or they end up going slower gotcha now tell me about this p7 the p0 again you were telling me that there's different comp that there's different compounds across the tread of the tire right How does so that work? so so part of the technology that we put into the p0 silver is a multi-compound technology so that what you might find on the outboard section of the tire versus the inboard would be different types of compounds some to provide more grip some to provide more durability and tires when cornering the stresses move across the tread it's not a flat stress so if you know that and you want more grip you put certain kinds of compounds on the outboard side so that then the tire handles better under stress but when it's going straight and you don't need the grip as much you let the inboard side do the work so that you get more durability now, the mixing the compounds like that, is that a new technique, or has that been around for a while? It's it's a technique we've had in our processes for quite a while. We're, we've done a lot of things that most people don't think about being associated with Pirelli, but but if you if you go back far enough in time, we're, we're the company that came up with speed-rated tires. We invented low-profile tires. We invented H-rating. We invented V-rating. These things we all take for granted. Those were invented at Pirelli, okay? okay. And... and in fact, there's a fun story about why we call them P-Zeros. Okay. So, so P-Zero talks about a zero-degree overlay in the underneath the tread that's what gives it the integrity at high speed. And a young engineer in our company figured out how to do that, and it was the first time anyone had figured out how to do a zero-degree overlay, which is why we have ultra-high-performance tires in the world. So the whole world uses a variation of this invention we made, okay? And that's where the name came from. Overlay in terms of what layers of uh, uh, material, layers of material that are underneath the tread, okay, and and over the over the belts, okay, okay. to keep the integrity of the tire at 200 miles an hour. All sorts of things are trying to make the tire come apart Parts. from centrifugal force, right. and you've got to make it all stay together. And and uh, this technology that was invented in Milano, okay, okay Milano, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, the P zero, and that's where the name comes from. Excellent. Now, let me ask you another question. Does the race tire incorporate a multi-compound tread, or because it has no tread design and it's a flat, like a slick tire? The the race tires use variations in compounds. Okay. Okay. Some tires have multi-compound, some don't. 
Okay, we we choose not to get into a large discussion about that technology for all the obvious reasons. Competition we, we, is a secret, right? We, exactly right. <laughs> okay. okay, it's uh, there's some closely held secrets, and how we make our race tires is one of them. Okay, and Pirelli, pretty much in terms of racing, particularly in Europe and now in the United States, has always been basically an industry leader and pioneer. Would that be a fair statement? It's a very fair statement. We uh, we we race to learn. We race to develop better products, and we lay, we race because we love it. It's okay, fun. Absolutely. Well, Tom, I want to thank you for taking the time. My, my pleasure, and thank you for stopping by to see us. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, I'm still here in the, uh, the big expo hall over here at SEMA, and I'm with uh, Chuck from uh, Raceline Wheels. And uh, I couldn't help but notice this 26-inch wheel. It's a billet wheel. looks like a custom-made wheel. I can't imagine what it goes on, but I've seen a lot of the show cars outside, so my guess is it probably goes on some sort of a custom truck, uh, some wild street ride, maybe even a dunk. But I'm going to let uh, Chuck here. Chuck, how you doing? I'm going to let you tell us about these wheels and what your company does. You just talk like that. It's fine. Okay. Well, thank you. This wheel is uh, it's made out of a solid uh, forge center that we machine on a CNC machine. Uh, the wheel's called Explosion. It's a directional wheel. We make a right side and a left side. The size is uh, 26 by 10, has uh, the candy blue uh, powder coat paint on it, which is called lollipop blue. Um, after we apply the paint, we come back and carefully machine the, uh, the lines, the grooves in it on a CNC machine. Uh, fitment on this is for uh, like late model Chevy, Ford, Dodge trucks. How long does it take to machine a wheel like that? Uh, the center takes about three hours to machine. And then there's uh, uh, a lot more hours of polishing and uh, painting and, uh, uh, and assembly, of course. So would it be fair to say it could take almost a day to do one wheel? Yes. Uh-huh. Really? I mean, yeah. in terms of time and layer to, to the point where it's ready to bolt on my car? Yes. Yeah. Just for one wheel, yeah. It, now, take, it takes a, a full day just to machine four centers. Wow. And then you, then they come out rough, and then there's a lot of uh, polishing and uh, finishing work to do. Now, these wheels, they're basically all computer-generated. Yes. And is, now, would that be considered a production-style wheel, or is that a custom-built wheel for, let's say, a customer? It, 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 we, all of these billet wheels that we offer are custom-built. We build them to order. The building order. Now, that one that I'm looking at right there in the center, that has a little bit of a nice nostalgic look to it. So if I was building, let's say, a custom 40 Ford or maybe a late 50s uh, Chevrolet or Dodge or something like that. I might want that wheel on my car. Now, that's what? Is that a 22 right there? That's a 24-inch. Oh, that's a 24-inch. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we make them, we start at 17-inch and we make them all way up to 24-inch. Okay. So the process and procedure is exactly the same? Yes. Uh-huh. I gotcha. Now, what would that wheel cost, that uh, 24-inch there, that vintage-looking wheel? Now, what's the name of that, by the way? Uh, that wheel's called a Burst. Okay. Uh, it has a powder coat champagne finish on it, along with the polished uh, accents. Uh, it, the price on that is about seven hundred and eighty dollars a wheel. Okay. Versus how much does this twenty-six inch jobby cost me? Thousand forty dollars. Thousand forty dollars. Wow. Now, how much? If I, let's say I wanted to shod my car with these four wheels, what am I looking to spend for tires? Um, probably uh, on a twenty-four inch, uh, probably around three or four hundred dollars a tire. Wow. And what would the dimensions be roughly? I mean, would it be a real short profile tire? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Yes. That's amazing. And then let's say this 26 incher over here. Yeah. The tire. Those tires are a little more expensive. They're probably seven or eight hundred dollars. Wow. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you and find out a little bit more about Raceline, how would they go about doing that? Uh, they can contact us at uh, racelinewheels.com. Mm-hmm. And then uh, get all the information. Yes. And is there an online catalog there too? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. We have everything on our internet. Yes. Super. Well, Chuck, I want to thank you for taking a few minutes okay. to talk to me. Thank you. We'll see you around. It. Thank okay, you. Bye bye. Okay. Hey. You know what? Now I'm walking around over here. In kind of a the funk section, so for all you guys that are into donks and uh, customs and uh, wild stuff with stereo and incredible stuff, I mean I can't keep track of this stuff. I don't really know much about this sort of stuff, but I will tell you, if you're into these uh, setting a car up to look like some giant Hot Wheel rolling down the road, this is the place you want to go. Uh, I mean these are where a lot of the tuner cars are. There's some trick motorcycle stuff here. They use the motorcycle stuff usually on display, but the uh, other stuff that's going on is uh, pretty cool. I mean, they're taking anything from just your... I mean, we got BMW X5s, we got Mustangs, we got Chevy trucks. It's slammed, jammed, and uh, rammed. I mean, they're all over the place. 4x4 sitting on the side, hydraulics, 
uh, you name it, it is all over the place here. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of innovation here. There's a lot of talent here. These people seem to like this kind of stuff. I mean, if you're into this kind of cars with these really custom paint jobs and wild electronics and wild trim, there's something here for you, definitely. I guess I really didn't have to say much there. Got the announcer doing all the talking for me. This is super. Well, JCB, very good man. Nice job of this Right enough. That was good. Oh, that guys, was good. I hope you caught that segment. That's Vaughn Ben Jenner in the North Energy Carpenter for Mustang. All right, guys, we're going to go back, and we're going to find some more people to talk to. And, uh, oh, looks like we have a little problem there. Looks like the suspension's out of whack here. Guess he came around and turned a little uh, too hard there because the uh, tire, uh, the rear control arm looks like it shifted because the tire's out. And the wrong, uh, wrong part of the uh, wheel well there. All right, guys, I'm going to get out of here. And note, this announcer here is bleeding over, but it's a great show. Okay, hey guys, I'm still here at Seaman. I'm standing around as usual. Or actually, I'm not standing. I'm walking around trying to find some really cool stuff. And guess what? I ran into my old buddy, Hank Hussmond from Detroit, Michigan. Actually lives in Florida now. And he's got his own project here, uh, his own car. as a uh, He's an exhibitor here this weekend. And uh, so, Hank, say hello and tell us a little about your Mustang here. Hey, how you doing out there? Uh, it's a, basically a late model Mustang 2010. And it's a, a two-seater uh, convertible uh, retractable hardtop uh, conversion that we do. The top folds up and drops down into the back seat area and gets covered up with a tonneau. And it's been getting a lot of attention here. It seems to be drawing the crowds. Uh, we're having a good show with it and getting a lot of attention. So Now, if I wanted to buy one of these cars, what do I have to do? Do I, buy, I supply you with a car and then you do the conversion yeah. or do well, I buy you, the finished product? Uh, basically, you bring your own car. We do the conversion. You give us the money and you're all done. Ready to go. Ready to uh, go. Yeah. Okay. Or you can buy a car outright, but I would just have to add the price of the car to it. So. And if somebody wants to get a hold of you and find out a little bit more information about this car, how would they go about doing well, that? Well, I have a website, uh, ASCMcLaren.com, and I've got a uh, phone number, what, uh, email address, all that good stuff. Okay, now this is a 2010 car, correct? Right, right. But you also have a kit that uh, works uh, from, what, 2005 well, cars it's ba- as well? it's basically the same kit. It just, uh, we can do anything from 2005 and up. It's, okay. it's basically the same car. In uh, 09 or 10, actually, they did some minor changes to the car. It's just the back end piece, the trim pieces is all that had to be modified. The actual top mechanism is the same, so it's, it's an easy fit for the okay. earlier cars. So, like with this car, you you still the car still retains its complete trunk area, yes. and the only thing you do is you sacrifice the back seat. Right, you give up the back seat, but there is a couple little storage bins behind the driver's seat and the passenger seat if you want to throw something in there, but the trunk is uh, pretty well retained, uh, 90, 95% of the trunk space, so you don't have to give that up. Okay, and the car then still... If the car's under warranty, it still retains the factory Ford warranty yes, too, right? Yes, we have five-year, uh, sixty-thousand-mile warranty, just like Ford gives you when you buy the car. Absolutely. Now, tell us the story on the light bar. Light bar—that's part of part of the deal, right? Well, it was an option originally, but we're kind of throwing it in as standard equipment. Okay. It's a classic design concepts uh, light bar, but it's been—it had to be modified to accommodate the the, the roof clearance. So it, it's a little shorter and a little wider. Okay. It, you know, and it's got padding on it and stitching on it, so we dressed it up a little bit just for as part of this package. All right, now this car is Grabber Blue. Okay, and this is a base Mustang that yes. you started with. Okay, that's a base V6 Mustang. So I could have my base V6 Mustang, or I could get my GT out here. Oh, a GT V8, yeah, whatever you want. Okay. Any any options you want to put on the car, you know, that's all between you and the dealer. Okay. <laughs> 
So are you having fun here at SEMA? Oh yeah, I'm having a great time. You got Lots. a great people, good crowd. You got a great spot here. You're right, right behind yep. the uh, McGuire's uh, right. filming he, crew here. Definitely got a lot of action going on here. A lot of noise, a lot of people. It's crazy, crazy you, time. You definitely encourage anybody to come here if they can make it. Oh, to this absolutely. Event. This is the event of the year. This is worldwide. Okay. Everybody needs to come here. Well, Hank, thanks for bringing your Mustang to the uh, show here as an exhibitor, and uh, hopefully you'll get some business out of this. Yeah, let's let's hope so. All right, well, I'm going to go browse around some more and see who else I can, uh, what other cool jewels I can find (laughs) around here to to, uh, talk about. All right, thanks, Robert. Happy hunting. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm going to walk around and uh, tell you guys a little bit about some of this stuff here, because we got this amazing, amazing stuff. I'm walking right now, I'm walking down. We've got this whole school, 52, 53 Chevrolet here. Really cool. They got this new paint out, and what this paint does, you can put it on your car, and it actually makes it look like it's a uh, old rusty car that's been sitting out in the weather for a hundred years. But the uh, hot rod, old school hot rod look, is really, really, really popular now. I'm standing here. I turn around. And I got K&N. K&N filters is right behind me. Everybody, I'm sure knows that name. Hey, we got McLeod over here. We've got uh, Autometer. We've got Autometer that's, uh, that's that's represented well here. They got a beautiful display over here with this gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous 19. I guess it's early 50s. Uh, Kind of like a pro street looking kind of uh, Cadillac, a 52, 53, somewhere around in it. Just amazing stuff. MP's right beside us here, okay? MP's got their display up with wheels and stuff like that. MSD's here. You've got iBox frames. Uh, it's just, you know, everybody, if you guys are listening to the show, you owe it to yourself. And I've said this before on many, many, many occasions when I go to some of these events. You guys owe it to yourself to come out and check out these huge venues. Because if you're truly a car guy, truly a car guy, this is the kind of stuff that you're going to want to see. Because everything and anything you've ever dreamed of is is probably here. Um, KC lights, we got uh, torque master transmissions, we got Eaton, we got Magnaflow, we got McGuire's. Of course, Barry McGuire was on our show a couple of days ago. How are we doing on time, Cedric? Two minutes. Okay, well, I think I could still, I might be able to make it down there. Some of these names I'm not even familiar with. There's a lot of stuff here. And I'm only in the main hall. Oh, yeah, well, like Steve was talking about earlier, the displays here, the Ford display and the Chevrolet display, and of course, I'm now at the other end of this thing here, the, the hallway, so I'm right by the Chevrolet display, and they've got some amazing stuff here. General Motors and Ford and Chrysler. Chrysler's got a small display here, but they are really, truly getting into the act to really come out with some really wicked cars. I mean, some state-of-the-art stuff. They're teaming up with some of these uh, pro builders, these custom builders, and they're they're uh, just making some really, really neat stuff. And this stuff will eventually filter its way into production cars. I mean, there's a lot of prototype stuff here. So, uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radiant Cars. Again, we are live in Las Vegas at SEMA. Okay, this is the real deal. And, uh, I'll tell you what, you don't need to go anywhere. You, know, you just stay at a hotel, hop a monorail, and you're here. I didn't hear any music. Are we just about out of time there, Cedric? One minute. Okay, one minute. I don't know if I can talk fast enough. But, uh, and again, the people that are here, the celebrities that are here, the names that are here, uh, you, you, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it, this is uh, Hollywood for car guys. That's about the only way I can describe this thing. Mobile One, they got a huge display. They got rally cars, race cars, street cars, high rods, customs. Out front, the display is amazing. The drifting event. And the food, the food's cool. The people, the atmosphere. I don't know, am I saying enough there? How are we doing, Cedric? I'm still uh, trying to make up stuff as I walk along here. I'm walking pretty fast because I'm trying to get over to some of these other guys over here and uh, mention some other names. But really, it's just, it's just an amazing event. And everything here is first quality. I mean, just absolutely stunning stuff. Extremely well-prepared, top-end, high-end stuff. I mean, there's no Mickey Mouse stuff here. This is the place you want to come to because this is going set to the, set the benchmark for you guys that are out there trying to put cars together or you want to get ideas, this is where you need to come. How are we doing, Cedric? We're out of time. Okay, guys. Talk to you guys later. This is the Cedric Radio and Cars. Tune in next week, 7 o'clock. And you never know where I'm going to be. we got car shows coming up all over the place. Okay? Stay safe. Drive carefully. Love your family.